Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, well, good morning. Welcome to Liquid, everyone. Glad you're here. And uh, we need to welcome our brothers and sisters in Nutley, New Brunswick, and Mountainside. Give them a hand. Great to see you guys. If you're joining us online or podcast, glad you're here. And uh, before we dive into today's message, I wanted just to debrief very quickly. Uh, last Sunday, if you were here, we hosted a guest speaker, Dr. David Ireland, who spoke on the topic of um, baptism in the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues. And at the end of the message, Dr. Ireland invited people forward to experience that. And it was very interesting because at every service, we'd have 100 people come forward with very mixed results, uh, you know, some experienced, you know, speaking tongues, many didn't, and some people walked away very excited and energized, like they have a new prayer language with God. Some walked away a little, like, you know, confused, like I came up, nothing happened, is there something wrong with me? Uh, and then others uh, were very troubled. They're like, uh-oh, this is where liquid jumps the shark. Are, are we now like, you know, Pentecostal? Tim's going to like wear a white ice cream suit and start knocking people over. Uh, it's going to get all weird and all of that. And, and that, you know what? That, I, I may wear a white suit, but it's not related to that topic. Um, but here's the deal. Let me just, just kind of level set this. This is completely normal. Whenever we make room for the Holy Spirit, things can get messy, okay? So I want to clarify three things for you this morning, just so you know where we're coming from at Liquid. First thing is this. Tongues are a secondary issue for us at Liquid. This is, this is simply not a big deal for us. Tongues are a secondary issue. Uh, at Liquid, some people practice a spiritual language where, or in their personal prayer time, and that's fine, and many don't. That's, that's totally cool, too, because we believe diversity is one of the greatest strengths of our church, okay? It's a sign of health and balance in the body of Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians makes very clear that every believer receives different spiritual gifts, but our primary unity is in Jesus Christ, okay? That that's, means that we love and we appreciate each other's uniqueness. Now, understand this. Not all Christians speak in tongues. And if you may be hearing, like, I don't even know what that is, okay? Uh, tongues are simply a spiritual gift that God gives some believers the, the ability to speak an unknown language to give glory to Jesus. And typically, they use it as a private prayer language. That's how it's most commonly used today in, in their time with God. But let me just super, be super clear about this. Some Christians experience that gift, and many don't, and that's totally okay. If you think of Billy Graham, you guys know Billy Graham? The most powerful evangelist of our lifetime. I think we can all agree Billy Graham filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, okay. But Billy Graham never spoke in tongues, okay. Nor did many of our spiritual forefathers and mothers, including Martin Luther, John Calvin, uh, Wesley, Elizabeth Elliot. In 1 Corinthians 12, in fact, Paul, I was looking at this week, Paul says, he says, hey, do, do all have gifts of healing? Do all preach? Do all speak in tongues? And he says that because the rhetorical answer is, of course not. And you must never forget this. Spiritual language is this one type of spiritual gift among many mentioned in Scripture. And God says the gifts are sovereignly given. It means God actually decides who gets what gift in order to build up the whole body of the church. So what it means for you and I is that humility is essential. Speaking in tongues is not like some sign of an elevated spiritual status with God because there are no second-class Christians in the kingdom. Amen? It's interesting, we had two little girls come forward. They were twins uh, last week, and one little girl was really touched, you know, by God. And as she started praising God, you know, in, in a new language, uh, her little sister started crying. 
because she's like, it didn't happen for me. Why does God love her more, you know? And it, it touched her, it broke my heart, you know, and we talked to, to them and the parents afterwards. But you know what? They're just children, and they were, I think, expressed what a lot of adults feel. Because you look and you, you're, you naturally compare yourself. And you say, well, why? I just, that didn't happen for me. Or, and, and, and someone said to me, they said, you know, Tim, I've prayed about this, and it hasn't, does it mean I don't have the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Let me be crystal clear. Every believer receives the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. And as a, amen? As a follower of Jesus, that means you have the Holy Spirit in you as a deposit, and he can never be taken away. Isn't that incredible? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came on people, but then it would leave. In the New Testament, it says you are filled with the Spirit, and you always have him. However, the Bible also says we need fresh fillings of the Spirit. Why? Because we leak. Okay, that's why. Ephesians 5, Paul says this. He says, be filled with the Spirit. It means continually filled. And for some, that's accompanied by speaking in tongues. It enhances their prayer life. But it's not the same for everyone. In a lot of ways, the character of Jesus is more important to pursue than the charismatic experience. See, not everybody experiences every gift of the Spirit, but every Christian is supposed to produce the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. So if you spoke in tongues for the first time last week, praise God. Uh, some people are like, well, what do I do next? The first is you can thank God. Whenever you receive a gift, you thank the Lord for that. We had many, uh, you know, liquid, uh, you know, volunteers, congregants. We had some staff members experience that gift at each campus. I always think that's so cool because it simply means, you mean you can be a Christian for 20 years and God still has more of him to experience? That's amazing. But secondly, practice that gift. Whatever God gives you a gift, it's meant to be exercised and developed. And a good next step is to practice that in your private prayer and devotional time with God. Don't feel embarrassed or foolish about, like, how you look. Because if you're a parent, you know when your little kids come to you and they start, you know, babbling or trying to say dada or mama, you're just like, I just love they're trying to talk to me, okay? How much more your Father in Heaven loves that? And finally, study that gift. If that's an area of interest to you and you feel like God leading you into do a Bible study. Actually, open your Bible, walk through the book of Acts, walk through Corinthians, trace the practice of that. I did a whole message series on this uh, last fall called Firepower, 40 Days with the Holy Spirit. It's available free online. If you're new to our church, just go to liquidchurch.com. It's all free content, and you can dive deeper. In fact, I'll recommend a book to you. People have said, well, if, if I want to know more about this, here's a very balanced biblical book. It's called the Beauty of Spiritual Language, Unveiling the Mystery of Speaking in Tongues by Jack Hayford. A very balanced biblical overview of the topic that shuns some of the emotional excess and the hype that sometimes surrounds a topic. You know, I had someone say, you know, if I've, I want to do this, you know, and develop this or any spiritual gift, what do I do? And the answer is easy. Jesus says in Luke, he says, ask your father. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. In other words, there's three levels of intensity of asking and pressing in to God. And then Jesus says, hey, which of you fathers, you know, uh, you know, if your son asks for an egg, gives him a snake. And then he says this, if you, though you are evil, earthly fathers, we know how to give good gifts to our kids. How much more will your father in heaven give who? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. See, to receive any spiritual gift, it begins with, you have to really believe in your heart that your heavenly father is good. <laughs> that, that God is actually generous and wants to give you more of an experience of his love and the Holy Spirit's power. So don't be afraid to, to petition, to press in, and ask God for deeper experiences of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're really serious, 
Make it a matter of prayer and fasting for 40 days. Set it as a daily prayer. Say, God, I want a new language just to praise you, you know, and, and, and let you know that how much I love you as, my, as your child. But just remember this, guys. Humility is essential. God's timing is different for every believer. For some, spiritual gifts um, manifest themselves very quickly after conversion. For some, it takes a lifetime. And for some, not at all. I've never been given the gift of prophecy or anything like that. You know, I'm a, I'm a preacher. What I love about it is um, those two little girls, their father, Todd, did such a beautiful job just kind of fathering them through that. He said, hey, because he married a woman who came from a charismatic background. And he said, girls, he said, sweetheart, don't be upset. He said, mommy, um, she's been speaking in tongues for 12 years. And I kind of had that experience about, I think, six months ago. And I still think it's kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, it just kind of gave permission. And I want you to know that. For some of you, you're like, I am not interested. Why are we still talking about this? That's totally cool. The Holy Spirit works with your personality, okay? So it's not like, you know, he's going to do something that's degrading or demeaning to you. My encouragement to you is just be persistent and you seek after the gifts that you believe your Father has uniquely designed for you. So here's what I want you to remember and keep in mind. This, this is my heart as, as your pastor. One of our greatest gifts of this church is that every week we have such wide tent, meaning a lot of people come to this church and we have the privilege of proclaiming Jesus to people who come from, run the gamut of spiritual backgrounds. We have people who come from a Catholic background. We, some of you come from a conservative background. Some of you come from a charismatic background. And I love that we can be the kind of church that is that diverse. I love how diverse we are. It, it's a beautiful thing to me. It shows the kingdom. But it's important to remember that our overall unity is where? In Jesus Christ. Keep the main thing the plain thing. Our goal is to proclaim the gospel. We want as many people as possible to know that a relationship, a personal relationship with God is available through simple faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? So keep the main thing the plain thing. Don't get stuck on secondary issues, whether it's tongues. Today we're going to talk about healing. Or like how often do you guys do communion. Don't ever let that cause division or confuse things. It's just not that important. In fact, let me challenge you. If you find yourself getting particularly riled up about a, a subject on either side of the subject. It means you're making it the primary thing. So resist the urge to judge other believers. Don't be a judger, okay? When Jesus returns, it says tongues are going to cease and all of our little petty theological nuances, we're going to feel look very foolish about it. And we think it really is diversity is the strength of our church. Um, some liquid pastors speak in tongues. Many don't. We think that's a healthy thing. Not only that, as a senior pastor, I think it's healthy for us to occasionally hear from other people who come from different um, traditions and backgrounds. For instance, like Dr. Ireland. That stretches us beyond our comfort zone. I realized Dr. Ireland's style was, you know, a bit more intense than the tone we typically, you know, take out liquid, and maybe it was felt too pressurized for you. But don't let style get in the way of substance. Our goal is for every single man and woman here to say, you know what, this is a place where I can be stretched spiritually, I can take new risks in my faith, and pursue fresh encounters with the Holy Spirit. I'll close with this quote. It's from St. Augustine. Just, I won't even explain who he is. He's a very, very old guy. <laughs> Early church father, he said this. When it, comes, when it comes to matters of spiritual practice, in primary things as Christians, we have to have unity. In other words, we need to agree that salvation comes through faith alone, in grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone. We all have to agree. We have to have unity on that. But in secondary things, there's liberty. There's freedom. There's diversity of practice among a lot of types of believers. But in everything, we must have charity, which is the Bible's word for love.
Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but don't have love, I'm what? A resounding gong. Don't be part of the gong show, all right? (laughs) Don't be part of the gong show. It all comes down to love at the end of the day. Loving God and loving others, and that's where our unity is in Christ. And I love you guys. Thanks for being the kind of church where we can seek after all that God has for us while being open to the different ways he's working in our brothers' and sisters' lives. So if you have more questions about that, talk to your campus pastor. We'd love to chat with you, pray with you, answer any questions you may have. But let me do this. I want to pray right now, and then we're going to switch gears and talk about uh, uh, open the word of God and look at how Jesus heals today. Father, thank you so much. We bless you, God, for what you're doing in our church Thank you that you are alive and you are active. The Holy Spirit is welcome in our church. God, um, we know you have work to do today. There are people here, Lord, who are hurting inside emotionally. Some people are here today and they're uh, in pain physically. Father God, we would invite right now the spirit of Jesus who would illuminate our minds, open up your word, quicken our spirit to receive it. And then, Father God, would you just reassure us of your great compassion and your desire to touch those who are hurting. Thank you for this church, Father. Protect us, continue to lead us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. All right, awesome. Well, I just got back from Atlanta. I was down, uh, down there, so I'll say, hey, y'all. I uh, got my southern draw on, and um, this, y'all, is the end of our series, but God changes everything. And I wanted to encourage you today with a message I'm calling, We Hurt, But God Heals, which is all about uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to heal broken bodies. And I want to encourage those of you who are here today, you may be sick. Maybe you came today, someone invited you, you're struggling with illness or an injury of some sort. In fact, at the end of today's service, we're going to offer live hands-on prayer for anybody who's just in need of God's healing touch. Because we believe in the power of prayer. We believe Jesus healed, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He's called the great physician for a reason. And we have reason for great hope. In fact, I want to begin with a testimony, a story of hope. Um, A breakthrough healing that occurred in this church over the last nine months. Pretty cool. The last time I spoke on divine healing was actually, I think it was last summer, in a series called God Greater Than Cancer. How many of you were here for that series? You were, if you were, okay, about half? All right, cool. Um, Powerful series in which we explored the many ways that God heals. Because sometimes God heals through natural means, like medicine. Sometimes he heals miraculously. And sometimes we actually have to wait to receive the ultimate healing of our bodies in heaven, in the life to come. God's timing is different for each of us. But in that series, a very special couple named Jason and Shelly were struggling with their own physical limitations, but God reached out and healed them. And this spring, we are celebrating as a family. I'm Jason. This is my wife, Shelly. And this is our But God story. We've been married for about eight years now, and uh, we always had a great plan of what our family would look like. You know, and then as we started trying to get pregnant, it, it just wasn't happening. We went through testing just to figure out, you know, is it something, you know, that can be fixed? Is it us? Is it them? And, you know, the doctors just said, you know, that it might not be possible. So we just thought maybe God is, is sending us down a different road. Maybe we should adopt first. You know, even though that wasn't our plan, but God was really just putting it on our hearts. And so just in about nine months, which is interesting, God blessed us with justice. We're so thrilled just to have her in our lives. She's the best child in the world. I know I'm biased, but, you know, and then since we've had justice, um, I had to come to a point in my life where I was like, okay, I might never have a bio child 
you know, and I, I gotta be okay with it. So it was about eight months ago in the Guys Greater Than Cancer series, and I didn't get to go to the first couple weeks, and I was hearing all these stories of people being prayed for and receiving healing, and I just kept thinking about having a biological child. And we actually were at the point where we could have started the adoption process again, and we had started looking into agencies and started making phone calls and packets of paper to fill out was starting to arrive at our house. And I was just thinking, you know, but I, I just wonder. That week he was preaching about a man who had so much faith that he told Jesus that he didn't even have to come to heal. He could just say the word. I just remember sitting there and thinking, God, like you can heal me here where I sit. And if that's your will, like I just want to receive that, Lord, if you would just heal me here where I sit. And so it was about two or three weeks after that, I came busting in the bedroom at six o'clock in the morning, crying with this thing in my hand. We were pregnant and I couldn't believe it. It was crazy. And I remember thinking, but God healed us. And I remembered that moment. I remembered that moment sitting in that pew. It's such a big miracle in our lives. Doctors were thinking this, or even ourselves, we were thinking this is how our life's gonna be, and you know, these are our expectations. But God had that huge plan for us. A week ago, we went to the hospital and gave birth to our newest daughter, London Kay. We're so excited to invite London into our family. This baby is a true miracle to us. For years we struggled with infertility and we wondered if God would expand our family biologically. But God was faithful. He heard our prayers and worked a miracle. Isn't that cool? Can we hear it? That's a praise God moment, man. That's an amazing, amazing story. I mean, for years, Jason and Shelly struggled with infertility. They begged God to, you know, conceive, start a family. Just didn't happen. They were, they, they were blessed to adopt baby Justice as the most adorable child in the world. It wasn't actually a backup plan. They always had a heart to adopt, but they just assumed they'd have a biological child first. And when it didn't happen, they prayed. And God gave Shelly this kind of quickening of faith. Nine months ago, she was sitting in the exact seats that you are sitting in. And she had this sense as we, were, as we were at saying, God can hear our prayers and he heals our bodies. And she felt this quickening of faith that God was saying, you're going to conceive. And, and last week, London Kay was born. I visited them in the hospital. Just the joy to celebrate that uh, as a family and see God can, can bring, you know, his power to bring new life. We hurt, but God is faithful and he heals. Amen. And you may sit here and be skeptical and think, well, how do you know it was God? You know, maybe something shifted internally, you know, in the plumbing and it was just time or something like that. And you can be cynical and think that. But Jason and Shelley, they were like, Tim, we know it was God. <laughs> we know it was God. We have faith in Jehovah Rapha. That's the God who heals. That's how God introduced himself, Jehovah Rapha in the Old Testament, the Lord who heals. And in the New Testament, Jesus Christ came doing just that, healing the sick, touching broken bodies, to demonstrate one thing, God's tender care and compassion for his children who are struggling with illness or disease. 
In fact, Jesus never turned away anybody who came to him seeking healing. And I want to show you this directly from God's word. So take the Bible we put out for you today. Open it to the first book of the New Testament. It's called the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew was an eyewitness to the ministry of Jesus. We're going to look at chapters 8 and 9. I'll also put it in your notes and put up on some slides. But look how Matthew describes Jesus' approach. Here's what he says. What did Jesus do? This is kind of the big idea. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages doing three things. Watch. Teaching in their synagogues. That was a Jewish church. Proclaiming or preaching the good news of the kingdom, forgiveness of sins. And what? Say it together. Healing every disease and sickness. So when people say, well, what, what did Jesus do for a job? What was his, what, what was his main mission? He was actually had two. Jesus was a preacher and Jesus was a healer. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. God can forgive your sins and you can have a relationship. And then he healed every sickness and disease. So the word of God and the works of God. He proclaimed God's word and they said, let me show you how it works. This is what it looks like when the kingdom comes. And if you look at Matthew 8, it gives this kind of rat-a-tat-tat description of all of a sudden Jesus just goes out preaching and healing people over and over and over in a row. I'll just give you a little survey here in Matthew 8. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. I would think so. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Notice how Jesus treated people who were sick, even people with communicable diseases, right? Leprosy is a contagious skin condition. Did Jesus put a mask on? No. Jesus did what? He touches the man. He doesn't cross the street to avoid him. doesn't say, well, I'll, I'll ask somebody to pray for you. That's what other people did. He, God touches the man, and healing is in his hands. And Jesus comes to show us something, that God has power over disease and can heal broken bodies with just a touch. Wherever Jesus went, healing was in his hands. Keep reading. Verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a Roman centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? So understand, whenever Jesus sees somebody who's suffering, his default response is to say, do you want help? Would you like me to help you with this? I'd love for you to ask. And this is so interesting because Jesus doesn't even care if the person is a Christian or not. This guy's what? A Roman centurion. He actually works for the enemy. The people are going to crucify Jesus. But Jesus sees the suffering of his servant. He was paralyzed. Probably not in a wheelchair. Probably carried on a mat. And he says, do you want me to come and heal him and pray? And pray? And actually, you'll see God's power. And the centurion is like, this is so cool. The centurion's like, actually, I'll save you the trip. You don't even have to come. I know you're claiming to be God's only son. And I believe that you have the authority to just say the word and he'll be healed. And then Jesus said to the centurion, go. Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was what? Healed at that very moment. The man couldn't walk, but God healed his broken body. Jesus specialized in impossible situations, in healing diseases and disabilities for which there was no known cure. If you survey the Gospels, I went through it this week, here are some of the things Jesus treated. He treated blindness, deafness, paralysis, nervous disorders like bipolarity, manic depression, fear, anxiety, Gynecological disease, blood disorders. In fact, 40% of Matthew's gospel consists of stories of healing. 
why did Jesus place such an emphasis on this in his ministry? Simple answer. Look at verse 36 of Matthew 9. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had what? Say it together. Compassion on them. Compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus Christ is a God of deep compassion. And when God sees his children suffer, he is deeply moved. The, the, the Greek word for compassion is splognizomai. It refers to your bowels or your intestines. And what it means is every time Jesus saw somebody in pain, he felt it in his guts. From the depth of his being, Jesus was filled with compassion. So he looked out on a crowd like this, and this ocean of need, and he was deeply moved in his desire to help hurting people. And guys, honest moment, that's the reason God prompted me to end our series with a message on healing prayer. Because I see so many people in this church family who are suffering day to day. I received an email last week from a woman at one of our campuses. She said, Dear Pastor Tim, I'm writing to ask if you can say a prayer of healing for my husband-to-be, and then she lists his name. He was diagnosed last December with throat cancer. And just when you think doctors have given you the bad news, then we found out the worst. The cancer has now metastasized to his bones. She says, as you can imagine, this news is stunning for both of us. And this Sunday, we're going to miss the healing prayer service because I'm taking us to a retreat in Massachusetts, a much-deserved break in between treatments. And of course, we're praying for them. You don't have to come to a special healing service to petition God. But to me, this is a reality check. Because I know so many of you are desperate for God's healing and a sense of his presence in whatever crisis you're going through. And that's why we offer healing prayer every few months. As your pastor, it moves me. Like it fills, it fills me with compassion and I can feel that sometimes when I talk to some of you. And I often think, if I feel this way, what does Jesus feel? What, what does God feel? When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word harassed means afflicted or tormented. And see, whether the pain was, was trivial or traumatic, it didn't matter. Jesus was just like, I have a heart to help. Look at verse 14. It says, when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So it's like, oh, she's got a 103 fever. He touched her hand. And the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on him. Now, I'm just going to call a time out, because I know what you're thinking. As moderns, we're like, the woman had a fever. Why didn't Jesus just give her a Tylenol, right? That, that's what some of us are thinking. Because we're moderns, and when we talk about healing or disease or sickness or fever, we think almost strictly in physical terms of like germs or infection. But Jesus says, no, actually, I'm going to look to a spiritual root behind some illnesses which you can't always measure with a thermometer. And here, he actually rebukes a high fever. Now, modern medicine would attribute that to a virus or an infection. And you know what? It may be. Sometimes a fever is just a fever. But sometimes, something deeper afflicts us. Keep reading. It says, When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to Jesus, and he drove out the spirits with a word, and what? Healed all the sick. Some sickness in this world is simply a result of living in a broken world after the fall. We have physical bodies that break down. Some of us, I can see it on you right now, you know, your saggy in parts, entropy. 
But some sickness, Jesus says, actually is spiritual. Here he says it's even demonic in nature. Now, don't freak out. Don't freak out at this moment. We're going to be passing snakes down your row in a few minutes, and you're going to get to, we're not going to do anything weird, okay? We're not going to perform an exorcism or something. All I'm saying is this. You and I, as moderns, typically see problems as purely medical. Oh, her hand's like this. She must have arthritis. Oh, he's, he has a seizure. That's epilepsy. Oh, he can't see. Don't put mud in his eyes, Jesus. That's glaucoma. Uh, oh, she's hunched over like this. That's scoliosis. We'll get it. And sometimes it is. But all I'm saying is Jesus, who had the wisdom of God, often discerned a spiritual source behind some diseases. I don't know what kind of health care plan you have, but I don't know. I, I'm guessing it doesn't include deliverance from demons, right? <laughs> like, what's the copay on an exorcism, you know, Aetna? Like, what, you know? We see physical symptoms. Jesus says sometimes there's spiritual strongholds. Remember this, the devil's goal, his main goal in life is to kill, steal, destroy God's children. And that includes our health at times. That includes our health at times. Anytime Jesus heals, he says it's a counterattack on Satan's rule as he restores the image of God being robbed from that person. And so whenever God's children suffer, understand your father in heaven takes it personally like a loving father does. I have an 11-year-old son, and when he spikes a fever, he goes up, Adele's 103, what do we do? You know what we do in our house? We lay hands on him, and we pray, and then I get in my car, and I drive to CVS to get him aspirin, or whatever Colleen tells me to get. Because I'm his dad, I'm like, I will do anything to help my son feel better. That's me, an earthly, wicked father. And I think, how much more compassion does your father in heaven feel for you? So if you're suffering today with an illness or disease, Understand, Jesus says, I personally identify with your pain. It doesn't matter if it's a little C, common cold, or the big C, you know, prostate cancer. Jesus says, I have come to bear this with you. And I want to get personally involved in your life. I want you to invite me. And guys, this is what makes Christianity unique among all world religions. Never buy that garbage. All religions are the same. They are not the same. Hinduism, you know, is the prince, operates on the principle of karma. What goes around what? comes around. So it says, if you're suffering, you probably deserve it. You probably sinned in a former life, and God is just getting back at you. You know what Islam teaches? Islam teaches that God has decreed blessing for some and pain for others, and there's nothing we can do to alter the circumstances, so they don't pray for sick people in Islam. The thought of praying for the sick is a, is a ludicrous, it's a foreign thought if you're Muslim. But the Christian view of God is that your heavenly Father is so personally concerned about his children's suffering, that he sends his only child to enter the mess, to physically suffer on a cross and experience all of the heartache, all of the trauma, all of the pain on a scale you and I actually can't imagine. And Matthew sums it up in verse 17. He says, all of this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities, our illnesses, and bore our what? Diseases, and by his wounds you are healed. Jesus' pain had a purpose. So does yours. Don't mistake this. When Jesus triumphed over death by being raised from the dead, he says, this is the foretaste of what's coming for you. One day you will have a healed body, whole and well, restored to what your Father in heaven originally intended. And sometimes I'm going to break in and give you a foretaste. That's why we call it a miracle. Because it's our future in heaven breaking into the present on earth. And that's what it means to be saved. See, the Greek word for salvation, sozo, actually means to forgive and to heal. Jesus had power over sin and sickness. Here's Psalm 103. I'm kind of memorizing this right now in my private time with God. 
It's a beautiful psalm. He writes, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who what? Say it together. Forgives all your sins and what? Heals all your diseases. See, ancient people saw salvation as holistic. They're like, when God saves, he saves entirely. Body, mind, and soul. And that's God's ultimate goal. Restoration and healing of a broken planet. Restoration and healing of broken bodies. And when Jesus returns, that's exactly what will happen. You and I will receive resurrection bodies. But that's Victory Day. Right now, we live between D-Day and Victory Day. Like the great invasion has become with Christ dying on the cross and being raised. But Victory Day, when he returns, we're caught in between. And that means today people still get sick. Moms miscarry. Men get throat cancer. Some suffer from chronic joint and back pain or blood disorders, heart trouble. People have illnesses and injuries. In fact, you may be hurting today, but God says, I have the power to come alongside of you and help in this healing process. And that's good news because today we're going to pray for those of you who are impacted by cancer or disease or illness of any kind. I know that there are people in this room who have chronic pain every day or you have difficulty seeing you have glaucoma or you're breathing some sort of lung disorder or you, have, you suffer migraines. Maybe you have an injury or people with torn tendons, broken bones, spirits of depression or anxiety. Whatever your ailment is today, physical, emotional, spiritual, you're going to have the opportunity to come up to the stage at the front of your campus and receive healing prayer from our pastors and spiritual care team at the end of today's service in a few minutes. Because we not only believe that God heals, but that he actually commissions us, he commands us as a church to practice healing prayer. See, guys, Jesus inaugurated it. He passed it on to his disciples, and then we are the disciples of disciples. And Scripture clearly commands the church to pray for people who are sick. In fact, um, Jesus' half-brother, he had a half-brother. You know his name? James, so we'll just call him Jimmy. Jimmy was a leader in the early church, and look what Jimmy wrote in his letter. He says, is anyone among you sick? He's talking to the church. He says, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and do what? Say it together. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And that's what we're going to do today. Your campus pastors and our spiritual care leaders, we all have vials of anointing oil. Now, I want to explain, if you can get a close-up of this, show you kind of what this is and what it's not. Because someone saw me carrying this, and they were like, is that a Jose Cuervo shot thing? Like from a, This is not from the mini bar, okay? This is, this is anointing oil, okay? It's not a magic potion. This is not snake oil. In fact, in Bible times, anointing oil was typically olive oil that was pressed from an olive tree. But in the Bible, oil represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. You probably remember that psalm, right? King David, he anoints my head with oil. And oil um, represents the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit to heal a person. Shepherds actually use this. They put it on the, the head of a sheep, and it would ward off flies and other pests. In other words, it would prevent disease. So when James says, hey, if anyone is sick, call the leaders of the church, pray over them, anoint them with oil. He's simply saying, I want you to do what the early disciples did. Remember, James grew up watching his half-brother Jesus restore and heal broken lives. And when Jesus sent out the disciples, look what it says in Mark 6. It says, they drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. So sometimes the disciples anointed people with oil in their healing ministry. Not always, but it was clearly something they practiced when they were praying for the sick like Jesus told them to. Again, now nothing magical about anointing oil, but this represents both the spiritual and physical aspects of holistic healing. Because in the Bible, oil was used for two things. It was used for miracles and it was also used as medicine, just plain medicine. 
In fact, you know, when Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, he's like the guy who's walking down the street, he gets mugged, he gets beaten, he's bleeding, and then a Good Samaritan comes along. Here's what Luke 10 says. The Good Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on what? Oil. In other words, oil was, was like an antiseptic used to cleanse or heal a wound. And that's what we do today, different way. Think about it. maybe you're in the yard yesterday working, you get a cut on your hand or your leg or something. But if, you know, if it's serious, you go to the doctor. But before you even go to the doctor or before you put a Band-Aid on, what do you do? You go in, you wash your hands, you put antiseptic like peroxide or something on it. And then before you put a, a Band-Aid on it, typically, what do you put on it? An ointment like neosporin. Notice we call it an ointment. That's where we get the name anointment. Does this make sense? The Bible links both medicine and healing in such a holistic way, but we're blind to it. <laughs> As modern people, we're 21st century West, we see miracles and medicine as separate things, but like faith and science are incompatible, but get, understand this. The Bible makes no artificial distinction. There's no distinction between body, mind, and soul. It's the Greeks who pulled us apart. But as modern believers, we believe that whenever any time a Christian gets sick, the first thing you do is you're going to pray to God. There is a reason Jesus is called the great physician. He's your primary care provider, and you go to him first. But then you go to the doctor because modern medicine is a gift from your father in heaven. It's a blessing. It's a boon. If you work in the healthcare profession, thank God for you. If you're a doctor or a nurse or you, you work in healthcare, you are literally the hands of Jesus in the healing process. So understand prayer is in, 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 in uh, place of medicine, you know? If you're taking medication, you're being treated by a doctor, you're going to therapy, you keep at that. I have allergies. I've been praying for my allergies, but I still take my nasal sprays and my Allegra and everything when spring happens. I say, Jesus, save me, okay? That's just what it is. But when you come forward for prayer, and I had people pray for my allergies, by the way, we are going to take this anointing oil, and the spiritual care teams and pastors are actually going to put the oil on your forehead in the sign of the cross to help us remember that all healing in this life flows from one place the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And look what James says will happen. He says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And then he says, if they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. And then he says, this is kind of weird. He goes, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Do you notice the shift here? It's all of a sudden like, wait a minute, I thought we were talking about physical healing and allergies. Why all of a sudden are we talking about sin and confession? And like forgiveness, this is not a mistake. James is drawing a very strong connection between private sin and public healing. Between the presence of like unconfessed uh, sin in your life and the healing power of the Holy Spirit. It's saying there's a direct correlation between the health of our bodies and the health of our souls. For instance, one time a woman came forward for prayer uh, for emphysema. And, um, and as she spoke, she smelled strongly of nicotine. And um, one of our prayer leaders said, you know, are, can I just ask, are you still smoking? And she said, yes. She said, I just don't have the strength or the willpower to stop. Now listen, can God cure her emphysema? Yes. But we said, why don't first we ask God to give you the power to break that addiction and actually give you strength and self-control to stop smoking? See, some sickness is the result directly of, the of destructive behavior. I'm not being judgmental. It's just a fact. If you're, an, if you're an alcoholic, you've spent your life banging up your liver and everything. Can God heal cirrhosis? Yes. But first, you have to repent and actually go in a new direction. You have to refrain from the activity that's killing you. That's why James says, just confess your sin. Ask the Holy Spirit to give the power to actually break free from that addiction. Because there's a posture of heart there. 
that has humility that says, you know what, enough is enough. I can't do this myself, and I need the power of the Holy Spirit to come heal my body, mind, and soul. And so understand, when you do that, powerful things happen. Look at verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's a connection between the inner state of soul and the external health of our body. And that's how you're going to experience healing prayer today. We have trained our spiritual care teams to pray in this way. And James makes this conclusion. The prayer of a righteous person, man or woman, is what? Say it together. Powerful and effective. Healing prayer is powerful. Just ask Alicia Colgan from our New Brunswick campus. Last month, um, at the end of one of our services, Alicia was hurting. She has a chronic condition with her, with her, her shoulder, and I'll let her tell you about it. But she received prayer, and she wasn't even sure it would make a difference. But God touched her body in a miraculous way three weeks ago. My name is Alicia Colgan, and this is my butt God story. For years, I've been dealing with this pain in my shoulder. My therapist told me I was a pinched nerve, and it just prevented me from moving my head or lifting anything overhead. And then about three weeks ago, I just couldn't move. I couldn't feel anything. It was scary. I went to my therapist again and we did some x-rays and we found out that I have what's called TOC. My first rib is disconnected from my collarbone and so there's a pocket for my nerves to kind of just settle and fester. So for work, I work in a fitness center. Um, so I'm in a gym all the time. I love working out. But right now I'm restricted from doing anything. Um, it's like going to Pizza Hut, not ordering pizza. I'm not able to work out, I'm not able to, you know, play with my godson or my nephews and lift them up, or even at church, I can't worship. It's restricted me and, and hindered me from doing a lot. So two weeks ago, I was in church when Pastor Kyler uh, approached me just to check in with me, see how I was doing, um, and I told him about the pain in my shoulder and I would possibly need surgery. He, he asked to pray for me. And he laid his hand on my shoulder, um, and then he started praying, and there was a, a pause in his prayer and, and he stopped. He asked me if I was feeling anything and I said yes. He continued his prayer and, and we finished and he said, okay, how do you feel? And I said, well, I feel good. He said, okay, so move. And, and I was able to move my arms. I just started crying, just overwhelmed that I was immediately out of pain. So I went home from church that day and I told my family uh, what, what I just experienced uh, because I couldn't do anything. They were doing everything for me, cooking and everything. I was so excited I actually went back to church that night um, to a, a different service and I was able to worship and it felt so good to be able to raise my hands. I, I posted on Facebook because I felt like I was supposed to encourage somebody and, and just let you know like there's hope. Um, and I woke up the next morning to um, hate mail in my inbox. Uh, you know, people, that, that didn't happen, it's not believable, it was just a bunch of garbage, to be honest. All I know is I was in pain, but God heals. Amen. That's an amazing testimony, thank God for that. See guys, this happens all the time. We, we, don't have, we don't host a healing service every Sunday because that's just our culture. We pray for anyone, anytime, anywhere. And it happens in the margins and doesn't take the pastor or the priest doing it. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. We have normal men and women who believe in the power of God and we pray for each other. That just happened in the margins. So today we wanted just to open that up and extend it to many of you. Because you know, this series, But God's Been Great, it's like, it's exciting to see these stories of, of triumph and victory, but God heals, like with Jason and Shelley. But listen, I understand. You know, 
We celebrate the, the Jason and Shelley. We preach those breakthrough moments. But you know what? We live between two worlds. After I visited Jason and Shelley in the hospital and prayed for their baby, laid hands on their baby, prayed for the baby, I was in the maternity ward, and I went in the elevator, one flight down, and went to oncology so I could visit another member of our family who was just diagnosed with kidney cancer. And he and his wife were there. I bring my anointing oil. We laid hands, and we prayed, and we spent time visiting and ministering together. That's where we are. There's joy and there's pain in the Christian life. And in all of it, we're inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to take a risk today. I understand this is a stretch for some of you. This is out of your comfort zone. It is for me too. It used to be at least because I grew up in a conservative church where we're just like, oh, don't, don't, you know. Our big prayer was like, Lord, guide the surgeon's hands. Don't, don't get your hopes up, you know. And I met my wife who grows up in a charismatic church. And like if someone like, achoo, sneezes, like cast it out of her, you know. Everyone gets healed, okay. That is not helpful. At Liquid, you will never hear us say, it is God's will for every single person to be healed in this life. And if you just have enough faith, God has to do it for you. That is spiritually abusive. The problem is it takes somebody who's already suffering and raises the promise of future healing in heaven to the level of guarantee for this life on earth. And if it doesn't happen, well, whose fault is it? God, I don't think so. Guess you. You don't have enough faith. Now you take someone who's suffering and you add guilt and condemnation on top of their injury. Very hurtful. The reality is God heals whoever he pleases on whatever timetable he likes. And like Alicia, he can break through it in a moment and do something powerful just to say, I love you as my son or daughter. So understand, sometimes we hurt, but God heals. And sometimes he uses medicine. Sometimes he'll perform a miracle. And we call it a miracle because it's God reaching down, breaking down like he sent Jesus to come alongside of us. So if you're not healed, you know, instantly or, or gradually or at all, it's not because God doesn't love you or you don't have enough faith. It's just not what the Father's doing right now. But I want you to ask, seek, and knock. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite all of our campuses in a moment to stand up and invite you to come down. But first, I'm going to invite our campus pastors and our spiritual care team to come up and stand underneath the side screens. They have blue tags with a red lanyard so you can see who they are. And we've been praying for you already today. We prayed over every sanctuary we're meeting in across the state. We prayed over the seats you're sitting in. We've anointed them with oil. And it's going to be a, a wonderful thing. It doesn't matter what you're struggling from. Physical, mental, emotional. Maybe you have a chronic you know, condition, a sports injury. You're going for surgery or, or you have a scan coming up or you're struggling with an addiction. We're going to stay and anoint every single person in this room who wants to experience the healing presence of the Holy Spirit. So you come forward in faith when I when I call you forward in about 60 seconds. When you come forward, let me tell you what we're going to do so that you can prepare to know what to expect. We're going to ask you three questions. First thing we're going to ask is, have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Because we're, gonna, we're praying in the name of Jesus. This is not new age. This is not the power of positive thinking. We're asking for healing in the name and power of Jesus Christ. And the greatest healing you can ever receive is the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. If you haven't invited Christ to be your Savior our spiritual care leaders would love to lead you in a prayer in that process. We have people do that every Sunday. Second thing we'll ask is, where do you need healing? And you just be open. It's confidential. We believe the Holy Spirit is present, wants to come alongside of you. Don't be scared. You can share whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual. And then before we pray, we're going to ask, are there any sins that you need to confess to the Lord? Because James makes that connection. And you can confess that in confidence to our leaders because we're literally, we don't have any magic powers. But Jesus says, if you forgive people of their sins on earth, they're forgiven of their sins in heaven. And so we're going to look you in the eye and say, in the name of Jesus, we proclaim those sins forgiven. 
And we're going to pray now for your healing. And then we will anoint you on the forehead with oil, invite the Holy Spirit to come minister to you. Sound good? Let's bow our heads and I'll invite you forward. Father God, come Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. We know you're already here. But God, I pray for courage right now for men and women who are going to get up out of their seats and come forward to be touched by you. Father, would you right now just let us know that we have full standing as children adopted into your family through the blood of Jesus Christ. You know every need in this room. And I ask Jesus that you'd release your healing power as a sign of your love. Come, Holy Spirit, not just to help us glorify Jesus, show us his reality. Father, I ask even now, I'm just aware, would you, would you bind any spirit of fear or anxiety that people have? You have full permission, Lord, to touch our lives and heal on the Sabbath. Do whatever you want. This is your church. These are your people. We believe there's healing in your hands. So let us feel your love and power. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.